0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This podcast is a part of a Bible study series led by our local retired pastor, Dr. Dan Stinson, exploring the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and six common themes found within. This week, we focus on the theme, Fellowship Within the Community.
1: Today, we continue with fellowship or koinonia. What does koinonia mean? Anybody? Fellowship. Okay? Now, here's the trick. Is it any kind of fellowship? Or is there something particular about this fellowship? I always thought
2: it was particular to like followers
1: of Jesus. Yes, it is when you use the word koinonia, although that's a Greek word, it's not a Christian word. Uh, But it has some content in it that puts it into that perspective. First of all in 2 John you read, they devoted themselves to the apostles, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So teaching, fellowship, bread and prayer. Right? So when you get together, it's a, these are companions. These are folks who have similar goals in life, similar interests in life. Um, so what is a companion? Anybody have any idea? When you hear the word companion, what do you think of? A friend. A friend, okay. Any kind of friend? Trusted. A trusted friend. Here's something interesting. This is... is The Latin word com means with, the Latin word panis means bread. Companion is to be with someone you like well enough to break bread, right? Or to bring it to the house, <laughs> if it's lemon. <laughs> okay. So they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship. And within that fellowship, they broke bread and they prayed. When you read the book of Acts, isn't that way to read? That's what was going on. Right. Uh, the problem becomes, over the years, this word companion, companis, has been used within the sacrament of Holy Communion. Uh, it was supposed to be the purity of it, everybody's entitled to eat with everybody else, that there should be no social structure. There should not be a tear such as there was in Rome. Um, Paul addresses that in, I think it's in Corinthians, when he's talking about the masters go to worship and they eat bread first and then the laborers come last and they get what's left over. And he really challenges that and he says there's something wrong here because it's breaking the fellowship, it's breaking the coin in the air. And everybody's alike at that table. Now what happened over the years theologically, you had the movement that said you are not worthy to receive the bread or the cup. Uh, You have to be pure, right? You know, we read admonitions do not come to the table in an unworthy manner, right? The trouble with that is it flies in the face of the doctrine of grace. If a sacrament is an instrument of God's grace, then you don't have to be righteous to come. Just the opposite. You don't come to communion because you are deserving of it you come to receive the sacrament because you are in need of it. And so we have a fundamental difference within the Christian fellowship today with those groups of churches who maintain, y'all come, or those who says, don't come unless. And that is Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and a whole host of Protestants who say, you can come. Right. Um, I had a horrible, horrible experience the last time we were in Israel. Uh, we had folks from the Wisconsin Missouri, Wisconsin Lutheran Synod, which I had never heard of before. But they make Missouri Synod Lutherans look radical and liberal. Uh, as bus captain, I would always ask all the pastors on board the bus, because we have a composite from all across the country, if they would like to share one of the morning devotions, because we always had a morning devotion on a bus, and we always had a communion service before the the trip was over. And this one fellow who was a Wisconsin Lutheran said to me, no, we take the sacraments seriously. And I wanted to say, well, what are we, meatloaf? and I, I was just very honest with him and said, you know, you've just really offended me. I've reached out to you as a brother in Christ, and you shut me down. He not only would not participate in the devotions, he led his own devotions in the hotel lobby before that group got on the bus, and then they talked amongst themselves all during the bus devotions. And when it came time for a rebaptism ceremony of you know, re- renewing your vows, they went down to another site so they wouldn't be contaminated by us being in the water. And when it came to communion, they just didn't show up. So that's not fellowship. That's not companion. You know, that's not here, And that's what gives organized religion a bad name. Now, the hardest part I had was trying to control two or three of the women who went from this church who were livid and wanted to do something about it and said you don't want to sink to that level you, know, you rise above it, you don't deal with it you just walk away from it because you can't change it. You, know, you can argue all you want but if they don't understand fellowship, your arguing with them isn't going to enlighten them okay Now that was going on in Paul's time in Peter's time in John's time as well. They were all wrestling with a group of folks who had differences of opinion and said, well, you don't belong, or you do belong. Um, So the word koinonia is actually a transliteration. It's not really a a translation. As it is, it's using the exact Greek word with an English definition. You follow? You don't have to translate koinia. We know what it is. The word koinia is a transliteration form of the Greek koavia, which means to have in common or to share. To have in common or to share. And that was to be the idealized state of fellowship and unity within the church or the body of Christ. That the goal, says John, is for everyone to see the unity. What does Paul talk against? Disunity. You read Romans 12 and Romans 13, and you can see what the disunity was doing to the church. There were those who were what you would call Pentecostal today, the speaking in tongues. How does he start off? 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I'm nothing. So he must have been addressing a group who were arguing over if you had to speak in tongues before you could be baptized, or do you get baptized first and then you speak in tongues? Uh, it's pretty rough. It was breaking the fellowship. And if you read chapter 12, most people understand 1 Corinthians 13. You go to weddings, you hear it all the time, right? Love is patient, love is kind. What they forget to read is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. Because the first 30 verses of, of chapter 13 are all the gifts of the Spirit that are evident in the church. And after he lists them all, he says, but I want to show you a more excellent way. Rather than argue over all these gifts, do this. Love. Be in fellowship. Companion. So it's critical to the early church. Right? Now, who were the early Christians? Many of them were Jewish. Right, So they understood the Hebrew. And the Hebrew word that I have up here for us is rather intriguing. You've probably never seen it before unless you studied Hebrew. <laughs> right? I always said, I didn't take Hebrew. Hebrew took me. Uh, but devak, is the word for communion. But here's the interesting part. Devek, which is the same root, in Hebrew means glue, to hold together. It actually means to stick to, like glue, which is when they use the back within a Jewish wedding ceremony, what they're saying is a husband and wife were to cling or stick or be glued to one another. Interesting. And what, what John is doing within this is saying so too should the Christian fellowship. Stick together as glue. Does that mean there's going to be no times in that relationship when there aren't differences of opinion, where there isn't a sense of irritation, annoyance? No. They're saying that in spite of those disappointments, in spite of those irritations, stick together like glue. You don't let the issue overcome the fellowship. And we've all seen that, the positive and the negative side of that in every group that we've ever been in, whether it be a church or some outside organization in the community or on the job or whatever. We've all seen how that breaks down. Right. So John is wanting the church to understand that they have to do better, that they cannot allow... Minor issues in his mind to become major differences. Right?
2: Uh, you know, yeah. Being raised a Catholic, we are brainwashed.
1: I mean, uh, it's. Well, let me tell you, so are Protestants. Right? You notice I wear very little jewelry. I have a wedding ring on, that's it. And since I have a Timepiece on my telephone. I don't even wear a watch. What does that have to do with? Because Mrs. Body, my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, and I can still hear her voice in the back of my head. You adorn the soul and not the body. Wearing jewelry was evil. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But you think I can overcome that? Heck no. (laughs) I still have it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have our own idiosyncrasies within all the d- denominations.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's sad that when it pulls you away from your relationship with
1: Christ. Right, that's the issue. So
2: that, at that yeah. point, I had to leave.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's been true historically in all churches. People who grow up in one fellowship see some inconsistencies or hypocrisies or whatever, and they go to another one. And you've seen some who go to a third one and then try a fourth one and then try a fifth one. Uh, We used to call them supermarket Christians, you know, looking for the best bargain. Uh, That's different than saying these teachings, these behaviors are detrimental to who I am in relationship to Christ. That's a whole different thing. Um, You can disagree theologically and still be in fellowship. But when the theology is practiced in such a way that it separates you from your fellow person and from God, then you have to take a different look at it, which is not easy. I was 35 before I did that. Yeah. It
2: took a lot of years to yeah. just realize I just going to stay there.
1: Anymore. Right. Yeah, And people do that politically. They grow up in a particular political household and they get out in the world, and they see life differently, and they, they change because of their relationship and their understanding to government or to whatever. Uh, that's human progress. If people didn't do that, we'd still be back in a cave. Right? People would come out of the cave and say, hey, this club was made differently than mine. I'm not going over to his house or his cave. right?" So to say, hey, look, his his club is different than mine. I wonder if he has a better grade of meat than he just got. (laughs) I'm going to go sit with him. All right. Uh, He talks about walking in koinonia, walking in fellowship with God. And the Hebrew concept of, of walking is what? To be on the journey. The Hebrew faith is one of a journey with God. The Christian faith is one of a journey with God through Christ. And so you walk with one another as you take that journey. And when you short circuit that, then you short circuit your experience with one another and with God. That's John's whole point. In the essence, Basically the fellowship with God for John is not about quality of life, uh, quantity of life, but of quality. It's not how long you live, it's how well you live. Right. So we have those and the time of has these three subcategories, if you will, of its understanding. There is communion, there is participation, and there is partnership. Now, how do you see them at work? First of all, how do you define communion? What do you think of when you hear the word communion? What comes to mind? Sharing together. Joining. Joining.
2: Taking the elements.
1: Taking the elements. So some activity. So it's an active word. Uh, Communion is gathering together with companions, being in fellowship, and feeding off one another. That's it, Mm -hmm. right? does it make a difference how, the quote, the elements are distributed? It does to some people, yeah. Uh, I always joke at that in some ways and smile. If communion, if Holy Communion is a Eucharist or a sacrament of God, then no matter what we do, we can't change that. We can't diminish it because God's in control. But we do diminish it with our theology, with our separations. With those who say, I will only take it if it's in an individual cup. I will not take it if I have to dip. Uh, I was in one church where I quit publishing how communion was going to be distributed because we had communion every month. And I noticed that whenever I would publish that month's schedule, that we were going to do it by intention. About 25% of the congregation didn't show up. They didn't want to dip in that. When they didn't publish it, everybody showed up. They took a chance on it. Crazy. Yeah, you know, is there a safety factor there? Yes, there is. But tell me, anybody know of anybody in 2,000 years of Christianity where people have died of Holy Communion? I mean, it's kind of ludicrous when you start looking at it objectively. Okay. Now, communion then is being together in a common place for a common reason. It may be with the elements. It may not be with the elements. You can have communion as people stand and sing a hymn. They're all doing the same thing in the same place for the same reason, to glorify God. That's communion. That's koyaneer. But it requires participation. Uh, I've come across this saying many times, and so have you probably, you cannot be a Christian in isolation. There's no way you can be a Christian hermit. It's a contradiction. It's an oxymoron. F- to be in fellowship means you participate with God and with one another. So those groups who maintain we're too holy to be part of you mm-hmm. are missing the boat. Right? Did you ever go to a, a, a Roman Catholic slash Protestant wedding? Or funeral? Kind of tricky, isn't it, when... It comes to celebrating the Mass, distributing the elements. Uh, I did a wedding one time with a priest, and he's the only priest who I think understood what reality meant. When it came time for us to distribute the elements, we stood there, each of us had the elements. And I said to him, I said, Monty, uh, suppose somebody from your side of the aisle comes down my side of the aisle. And he said, that's between them and God. I don't want to get into that issue. And then at the end of that service, as we said the Lord's Prayer, I was expecting to stop without the... He continued. And I said to him afterwards, I'm really impressed. Why did you do that? He said, I looked out, there's more of you than of us. Than was of us. So, so he said, I, I decided to go with you guys. <laughs> so that's understanding fellowship. Because, quite honestly, there was a while that I refused to do weddings with Roman Catholic Churches because I was treated less than an altar boy. My ordination didn't matter. And so if it didn't matter, it wasn't considered a valid participation, why should I be there? And as we talked it over with the couple, they began to see what I was talking about. Because for me to participate in that situation, tells everybody who's there that this doesn't matter. My presence says it does matter. But if I can be present and not be there to be sort of ignored, sends a message that I don't want to send. That's participating in the wrong stuff. That may be wrong of me, I don't know, but I, I just think over 50 some years of experiencing that. Because you have to remember, it was only during my lifetime that the Roman Catholic theology changed. Where Protestants were not non-Christians, but with Vatican II, we became separated brethren. We at least were part of the family. Where well, before we weren't. Is that what
0: they mean ecclesiastic communities?
1: Yes. Ecclesiastic community means Amen, you're out. In other words ecclesia means the church the church is setting boundaries that I don't think God ever intended to be set All right now the interesting thing is fellowship in greek is not only koinonia it is also pepatein p e r p a t e i n p e r p a t e i n In other words, that is a metaphor for ethical behavior which is found throughout the entire Hebrew Bible. That to be in fellowship means there is an ethical behavior expected within that fellowship. Um, In Hebrew, the word is halak, H-A-L-A-K, which means to walk. Remember, we talked about walking the journey. You cannot walk in the fellowship unless you are walking ethically within the Fellowship. Even today, if you take all the ethical teachings within the Bible and the ancient rabbis, it's called the halakh, H-A-L-A-K-A-H, the walk, the journey, the ethical journey within the Fellowship.
0: Did that apply to just how they they interacted with their fellow Jews, or did was that ethical requirement on how they dealt with non-Jews? Both.
1: Both. If you read it closely, uh, the Jewish folks are admonished when they are taken off into captivity, into Babylon. Do everything you can and help those who are keeping you in bondage. Right? You also read, treat the alien among you, because as a not a stranger, but as a person of your own worth, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. So it's both. Both. If you notice during the Civil Rights Movement, some of the folks out in the forefront were rabbis, because there's an ethical admonition to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. That's part of the halak, that's part of the ethical teaching. I can't be in community and then ignore the ones who've rejected from community by man-made standards. Now, does that apply to all Jews? No. You know, just like all Christians don't think alike on social issues, right? But fundamentally, there's the Jews and the Christians both understand fellowship the same way. That there's an ethic involved in it. Now, when you start talking about the Jews, you have to talk about the same way with Christians. We have Protestants and Catholics. We have Orthodox, we have Reformed, we have Deformed, we have Informed. <laughs> you know, the Jews have the liberal, they have the conservative, they have the Hasidic, right? You name them, there's a whole group of them, you know, and each group is separate. Right? Okay, some will, you know, will ordain women rabbis, some will not. Okay. So communion, participation, and partnership. To be in partnership means you don't go it alone. There's somebody there to help you in your journey. You can call that a spiritual crutch if you want, but that's what it amounts to. There's somebody there to help guide you on your journey, on your ethical journey. In this case, it is John guiding those probably two congregations that we think of in Ephesus. He's guiding them and saying, look, these are the issues out there, but if you hang in there together, if you have the devak, if you have that glue holding you together, and the glue in this case would be the teaching of the apostles. Isn't that what it says? That they held in Acts that uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were in partnership with one another. Paul uses the word co. You, you find out quite a bit. He talks about co-ambassadors for Christ. Right? And you know who he includes? Women, contrary to the misinterpretation of some, right? Paul mentions women by name 44 times and often he gives them they are either co-ambassadors or co-workers for Christ with me. Hmm, rather interesting. Sort of defines the history of churches, doesn't it? Everybody's involved. Gender is not the issue. Christ is the issue. So can you see the importance of fellowship? So the main question we have then, what does fellowship with God mean to you? How do you understand it? This is how the theologians understand it. How do you understand it?
0: God is always present if you allow Him to be, and if you allow Him to be, He's your guide.
1: Okay, let me rephrase that with you. Okay, I challenge it. Is God not present if we don't want God there? Do we control God's presence?
0: He's not present inside of me if I don't.
1: Ah, ah, okay. He's not, huh? He only comes to you when you're good.
0: No, 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 no. He's present when I allow him to be. And I think it comes when you're not being good to help you get back on your journey.
1: Is it possible that he's there even when you don't want to be good? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So who controls God's presence, our behavior or God? I wouldn't presume to control God's presence. Okay. Remember that old song, Be Careful Little Hands, What You Do, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See? I think there's some real deep thoughts behind that, even though it's a child's song. Anybody else? What does What does fellowship or communion or participation, what does that mean to you? To fellowship with God?
2: Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, that I do feel it all the time. Mm-hmm. And if I go to say or
1: do something that he doesn't like, I feel it. But Can you say it anyway. I had to grow into that. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have that as a teen or a young. Right. Woman, I grew into yeah. That. No, I, I do have. It. It's amazing what life would teach us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always love Mark Twain's statement that. When he was 14, he couldn't believe how dumb his father was. And when he was 21, he was amazed at how much the old man learned in seven years. (laughs) Uh, Life's a journey. So we have different ebbs and flows. We have different mountains and valleys, plateaus. Have them all. See, we all know what it means, but putting it into words is more difficult. John is attempting to give them a handle on how to carry this this concept forward to go further than the apostles did. Learn from the apostles, but walk your own walk. I think that's what Paul meant when he said each one must work out their own salvation. Now that's been twisted around by some saying each person can save themselves. He's not saying that. He's saying the process of coming to understand God only you can work out because only you understand your relationship with God. You're the only one involved in that one-on-one. Now you're in fellowship with the others, yes. But your journey is not my journey. Right? And anybody who tells you that they've never had a moment of doubt is either a fool or a liar, or both. Question so of doubt. Now it's the door to faith. You know, read the story of Thomas. Now, I'm not going to believe unless. It took the unless for him to say my Lord and my God. So we have to be careful that belief in God, belief in Christ, does not mean we have to believe everything the institution teaches us. We have to learn from the experience of here. What do you see happening in other people's lives? Most of the people I learned from were not people who were in the pulpit every Sunday. They were the ordinary parishioners who had horrendous situations in their life and learned how to live through it. They probably never said a, a word. They never taught a Sunday school class, but I learned what it meant to be a Christian from them. Did I always agree with them on everything? Heck no. Did they always agree with me? Probably not. In fact, I know some of them didn't because they told me. (laughs) Right? So what else does it mean for you? How do you participate in the fellowship?
2: Meeting fellowship with
1: Christ? Mm Mm-hmm. Participation and partnership. How do you? How do we do that? I
2: need quiet time. I need. I just sit sometimes in the morning. Just sit. Mm-hmm. And I just need that quiet, quiet time that yeah. I never did before. I
1: mean, this all came about like after after Ron passed.
2: Sure. We had all that time. and Absolutely. So ever, I think everyone needs to separate yourself from everything and just sit there. And sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't.
1: The no highs and lows in any relationship, even with God. Mm-hmm.
2: Never doubt it, but there are times when I've been so low I've had to get on my knees and just
1: beg Him to make His presence known. Mm-hmm which you doubted his presence. Otherwise, you would never have to ask for it, right? I mean, we don't have to verbalize doubt for it to be doubt. In retrospect, we look back on it. And yet it isn't, because look what it brought you to. All right? Uh, I I, I always think in crazy terms and images. Uh, That's just my psychotic nature, I guess. just think of a baby being born, going through the canal, saying, I don't want to do this. This is scary. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I have everything I need here. Why should I bother with this nonsense? Maybe that's why the baby cries when it comes out. I don't know. But just think about it. Aren't we all babies? Aren't we all infants in Christ? All doing the same thing, fighting and struggling? I don't want to do that," until somebody else in the fellowship says, you can do it. Come on, I'll lead the way. I'll show you. I remember when I first had my heart problem, part of my rehabilitation was swimming. And the first time I got into an Olympic-sized pool and had to do laps, it was terrifying. I mean, that's the only term I could use. And there's a fella next to me I never knew before. And he looked at me and he says, first time, huh? I said, yeah. He says, I'll swim next to you. He said, just just stay with me. And he did for a couple of days. He swam back and forth with me until I felt like I can do that. Had I been on my own, I probably would have been sounding an alarm that's come get me out of this thing. We're all drowning in life unless we have somebody in another lane next to us. That's partnership. That's participation. That's community. That's fellowship. Uh, So I think what has happened is we've so institutionalized Christianity that when we think of participation, we think in terms of rummage sales. We think in terms of Sunday school classes, Bible studies, worship, being on the committees that you need to be on. That's part of it. But what about getting outside the four walls into life? Helping somebody else walk their walk. Whether it be a walk of injustice or a walk of fear or whatever. That's a hard choice. That's a hard choice as well. But if we're not doing it, aren't we really deceiving ourselves and those around us? I doubt very much today in our current nonsensical social atmosphere, whatever term you want to use it. I doubt if this was a Roman Empire, some emperor would say, look at those people, how they love one another. Yet Rome looked at the chaos of life and they looked at the Christian community and said, look, they love each other. And that stood out because the Romans didn't. You know, when I read scripture, I always look at it and say, okay, what does that statement mean? And usually I say, because it doesn't mean this. Mm -hmm. To love one another means there must be somebody out there who weren't loving each other, otherwise it wouldn't be necessary to make this statement. And I often wonder if the churches really got back to just being the church and forgot some of the nonsense that divides us we'd have the young, younger generations coming in in droves because they're searching for it. And all they're seeing is the hypocrisy and the arguments. No different to anybody else. At least That's been my experience of 20 years of teaching at the college level. The kids are desperate for it. They want it. And if they do, I'm sure the older folks do too. I have a good friend who's a retired pastor, and we often talked about being a PK, being a child of a pastor is detrimental to their Christian development because they see the nonsense going on in the churches. They don't see the fellowship. They see the argument over doctrines and policies. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can't do this, but you can do this. So the church really is its own worst enemy. My
2: best friend was a preacher's daughter. Yeah. She was as wild as they come, and she was that way her whole life. Mm-hmm. And she didn't believe in the Trinity. She just. And when she passed, I felt so bad. I hate.
1: Mm-hmm. I tried, but yeah.
2: she didn't want to hear
1: it. Yeah. Well, I always console people. That's not our job, that's God's. That's between them and God, and if I understand God as a God of love, that issue is taken care of. Otherwise, everything that we're talking about here doesn't matter. If God is a God of love, if we call God Father, what's your opinion of a father who says, get out of my house, I don't like what you're doing, you can never come back to this door? Right? Okay. So if we call God Father, it's got to be for a reason. because the father doesn't turn his back on his sons or daughters.
2: Sure.
1: I understand that. <laughs> right. right, There again, see how they love one another as opposed to how much of a jerk you can be. Right.
0: If the child is so destructive that it's affecting the other people in the family. They're not going to exist or coexist peacefully.
1: No, but there are other options open in just saying get out of here. Get out of there until you do this. Until you come to tip, come to terms with your issues. There's no way we can come to terms with our issues. So I will enable you to go here or there, whatever you need to do to get this straightened out. I want you, but just as if you had a, a massive coronary, I would take you to the emergency room because that's what you need. Spiritually, I'll take you to the emergency room because that's what you need. See, I don't think it has to be an either-or. You know, society tells us it's an either-or. I think there's a better way.
2: Our uh, youngest got in with a group that uh, parents raised, cannabis, mm-hmm. and gave them prime product. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize what was going on. And when I did find out, I went to our pastor, and he he said, the center of she is so productive today and such a Christian woman. Yeah. had we done that, I, I
1: don't know. Yeah. I had a good friend by the name of Danny. He was Big Danny. I was Little Danny. I was just about six feet and he was about 6'3". And we ran around together, everything. He was a real troublemaker. <laughs> and the principal of the school called me in one day and said, Danny, I want to talk to you. You keep running around with him and you're going to get the same reputation as him. You need to suffer that. And I said, excuse me, don't you teach Sunday school? He said, yes, I do. I said, that's what I thought you did. I said, but I thought we were supposed to love each other, and that good can overcome bad. Why do you assume that the worst is going to happen and not something better for him? And he said, I hadn't thought of that. I said, well, then start thinking about it, fella, because that's where life is, isn't it? Either we believe that goodness overcomes evil or we're doomed to always be in an evil situation. That's saying we've got the best thing going. We've got this glue that's holding us together. Who can help us get through that? Will it be easy? No, not at all. And Christ had to go to the cross to accomplish his work. Sometimes so do we. So in spite of what you're asking, because it's a valid question, um, you yeah, you have to do something. But you have to do it in a loving and in such a way that it becomes productive, not counterproductive. And the easiest thing is to lock them up and throw away the keys. We've seen right now what mass incarceration does. It just trains more criminals. So let's take a look at that and see how do we change it. We spend more money on incarcerating than we do on educating. And then wonder why we're screwed up. Where's the coin in that? Where's the fellowship? Okay. So we have accomplished three of the six items that we said we're going to accomplish to some degree or another. And so where do we go from here? What's next? Sin and forgiveness, right. And I would suggest to you that we've got problems because we don't follow this. If we follow this, the sin quota, I think, would be lower. You can see how John is building on all these things. It's like stepping stones for the journey.